Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Glad to be with you again today. If you haven't met you, I'm Chip Free, the lead teaching pastor here. So glad you're with us at Garfield Memorial Church. Uh, one church last week in 1,572 locations. Wow. Uh, so we're so grateful to be with you. I hope you felt the spirit of worship as we who are gathered here have felt it. Um, when the band de- de- declared our God reigns, uh, that's a rebuke on the silly kingdoms of this world. Our God has continued to be unshakable, unmovable. I heard all those things today. I hope you did too. You just saw that video. We're, um, we're, as pastors, we've been really, really united, praying for parents and students right now, uh, going back to school, going off to college. I want you to know we have been praying weekly for everyone dealing with that um, in these kind of really unprecedented times. And we want you to know that, that we're with you. So this Tuesday at 6.30, uh, we're doing a Zoom call. My wife said, do you have an expert? I'm like, no, we don't have any experts. I don't even know if there is an expert. Uh, we, what we have are, are pastors that want to pray with you. So if, if you're in that uh, situation right now with students going back to school, we just thought it might be good for parents to talk to each other um, so you know you're not alone. Uh, and we're going to do that Tuesday at 630. Just email me if you want to be in on that Zoom chat. It's just chip at garfieldchurch.org, C-H-I-P at garfieldchurch.org. I'll send you an invite. Um, but we want to pray with you. Next week, we're, we're closing out a teaching series this week, and next week, we're going to have four weeks of fun. How many, need, how many people need a little fun right now? Okay? This pandemic is really hard on yellows. You know, I'm a yellow temperament, right? I'm a life of the party, but there's no party to go to, so I'm, I'm entertaining my wife for four months. Pray for her. Um, but we're, we just want to have some fun, so we're going to end the summer at the movies, Right? They had a movie night last night at South Euclid. I heard it was amazing. I saw people sitting on top of their cars. Here's what we're going to do. For the next four weeks, each one of the teaching pastors, Scott, myself, Terry, and Pastor Steve, all four, we're going we're to pick our favorite movie of all time and preach how we see the gospel in film, okay? So it's going to be fun. Now, this is epic. You don't want to miss the e-notes. You don't want to miss Monday Musings or Faith on Fridays. Because it's going to be like radio, man. We're going to give little clues during the week. So each week, you will get the top five movies from each pastor. And if you can guess the top movie for each pastor, you're going to Disney, man. Think it. Seriously, it's going to be big. We got a big prize. So each week, make sure. And next week, Pastor Kurt, in the chat, uh, you, can, you can guess what the favorite movies is. So we're going to just, we're just going to have some fun for four weeks. I can't wait to do it. Today, we're wrapping up our teaching series on Planted. We've been looking at a, a, a study that was done years ago by Lifeway Discipleship Resources where they were looking what makes a healthy disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that look like, right? When Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, what are we supposed to make? What are we, what, how, how do we have evidence 
that we're living out a, a life that's, that's abundant in faith. And, and they found out that there were four things, there were probably 30 things, but there were four common, common threads that they said were the greatest inputs. If we planted those practices into our life, it would yield the greatest output of faith. And so we talked the first two weeks, seems pretty typical, regular worship, and reading our scriptures, you say, okay, go to church, read the Bible. It wasn't that routine. I hope you listened to those messages. It wasn't a checking a box. It was making worship part of, of who you are. As we proclaim today, our God reigns, we were centering ourselves on the reality of God, not putting anything else in that place. I'm so glad that Justin prayed that prayer today, that we would be a people of what? Of worship, applying worth to God. And not just reading the words of Scripture. The little words of Scripture have caused a lot of problems through the years because people start to worship that rather the word that became flesh. In the beginning was the word. And the word of God that comes through the words of Scripture. And in fact, we don't really read it. It reads us. We sense that we're being dealt with, right? That those two things, worship and engaging God's word. And last week, Scott nailed it when he talked about community that we're doing this thing together, right? Uh, that we're finding ways to stay together. You're worshiping with us in your homes today and other things. We're staying together. We will not allow the enemy to tear us apart. That we're together. There's a togetherness. John Wesley, who started the whole Methodist movement, said the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We need to be together. So being in community. And today, the last thing they found, and they're not ranked, People who serve. What did Jesus say? I came not to be served, but to serve. If anybody had a right to come to be served, it would be like the author of the universe, right? But he came and said, no, I'm coming as one who serves. And discipleship resource found people that find a way to serve God's mission, not our own, an other-centered, you know, kind of lifestyle, an outward-flowing lifestyle, grew in their faith. And finding ways to serve. So I want to read the scripture today. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's familiar, uh, in, known as the sending of the 70. I'll dig into that. In chapter 9 and 10, Luke is, Jesus is doing leadership training. He preaches to his disciples in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he doesn't just send them out. He sends a large number out. Let's look at this scripture together uh, today. It said, after this, after he's been doing leadership training... The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. 
There's a long teaching in Luke 10, and for all of you at home and those of you who are with us today, and do some devotional reading. Go home and read the entire chapter of Luke 10 and dig into this. This is, this is Jesus' kind of uh, his test drive of his church. It's, it's sending out people to begin to live out a life of discipleship. And, and you'll see some characteristics, just four quick characteristics that I think every church could judge itself by on the way that Jesus describes his initial idea. And see, you say, well, I don't want, what's the church? I'm not even sure I believe in God. Or, look, you need to know this because the number one thing that gets in the way of people coming to Christ are Christians. <laughs> you haven't noticed that. Somebody said the number one reason people don't go to church is the people who do. Like, we can get in the way. So it's good to go back and look at the beautiful design that Jesus had for his church. Four quick characteristics. First, they're sent. They're an outward people. They're an outward living people. They're not inward. Inward focused people turn into clubs. But an outward sent people can change the world. So they're sent. They're together. Did you notice he didn't say, go out, ship, and be a lone ranger? You know, Pastor Lori, go, go lead a revival. He didn't say it. He sent them out what? Two by two in pairs. They're to be together. We're not supposed to do this thing by ourselves, right? When I talk about my wife and I say, my wife and I are teammates in ministry, that's not just a cute phrase. It's true. God sent us. God called us together. So we're sent. We're outward. We're together, right? And they're risk-taking. They're sacrificial. If you read the scripture, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you someplace you wouldn't normally go. I'm calling you to go to people that might reject you. But you're going in my name. So they're sacrificial. Why don't we use that word sacrifice anymore? The only place we use it anymore is on a baseball field. Jesus called his people to be sacrificial. To be sent, to be together, to take risks, and to heal. Jesus gave them the same threefold ministry that he had. To preach the good news to cast out the isms, the evil that separates people, the demonic, and to heal. And the church that's sent, that's other-focused, that's willing to take rest, will be a healing presence in the world. That's what you're called to do, friends. Every single one of you is called to this lifestyle. Now, the only way we can do it is if we understand what I put in the title of the sermon, that there are no consumers in God's kingdom. There are only servants. Do you know if you read your New Testament all the time, when Jesus referred to us uh, in a relationship when he is the master, we are the servants. Some terms he uses slaves. Guess what word is never in the Bible? This is, good, this is a good trivia one, right? Not in the Bible. The word volunteer. It's not in the Bible. Look it up. Google it. But we use it, Right? In fact, when I first came here 16 years ago, I was on such a mission like, we're never going to use the word volunteer. So you're a servant, and we're going to serve. We do servant ministry, and people serve. And that worked for about three years, and I gave it up and went back to volunteer. Because <laughs> people, people like that word. Why do we like the word volunteer? Because we're still in charge. Right? I volunteer my time. I volunteer my resources. And you ought to appreciate me. See? And, and that, that's a spirit that Jesus is going to deal with in this thing. He's talking to them about two things here. The power of partnership and the secret of servanthood. He's, first, he's empowering them. 
But then do you notice he, at the end, he kind of says, now wipe the smile off your face. Like, that's so not Jesus. Isn't that the guy that turned the water into wine? Man, Jesus is yellow. I'm convinced, man. Like, kids like to be around Jesus. And he was not a wet blanket. So why does he deal with them so harshly? Because there's a spirit creeping up in them that he's concerned about. But let's look at this power of partnership. Why are they so amazed? They're amazed because they find out that all of them have been sent. All of them are missionaries. See, if you just read chapter 9 without chapter 10 in Luke, you would think, because it, it was all about the disciples, you say, oh, the clergy, they're the ones. They're the, they're the trained ones. But no, Jesus sends out the 70. Every single follower of Jesus is in mission, is sent, right? That we're all called. 70 is a very important number in the scriptures. You guys have heard me wax eloquent on the number seven, right? Number seven means, come on, type it in the little chat there. I want to see, Kurt, tell me if anybody gets it right. Seven means completion. Thank you. Right in the front row. You, you might get the four out of four movies too. I've got, I've got a feeling about you there. Completion, perfection, right? God created the world in seven days. Literally, it doesn't matter. It's complete. It's finished. And that's why when you get to Revelation, which is what? The completion of all history? It's full of sevens. Jesus preaches to seven churches and there's seven seals and seven bulls and seven trumpets. Seven meant perfect, complete. And 7D is an amplification of that. So when Peter, Peter goes to Jesus and says, I, I, I have to forgive seven times? Jesus says, no. Amplify that 70 times. In fact, in Genesis 46, when it said Israel went down to Egypt, remember? They ended up in slavery in Egypt. It says the 70 went down. What does that mean? The whole nation. And in, in Genesis, it talks about the Gentile nations. There were 70. 70 means everybody. So who is Jesus sending? Everybody. You and me. We're all called to this mission. It, 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 you know, it, I, I was talking with my wife this morning. We interviewed on Faith on Friday a man named Leonard Sweet. I don't know if you know Len Sweet. He's one of my favorite Christian authors. If you didn't see that Faith on Friday, you can go on YouTube or Facebook and watch it on demand. Leonard Sweet is an amazing Christian thinker. And he was coming to us from Orcas Island off of the coast of Washington. I'm like, dude, man. I, I retire, I'm probably going to get Youngstown. You get Orcas Island. Um, you know, and I, but he said to me something. I, I, he must have sensed I was a little discouraged. Because he said to me, he said, Chip, listen. None of us would have chosen this time to be in ministry. None of, he was just like looking right through the camera at me. None of us would have chosen this time. But he said, don't forget, my friend, that you've been chosen for this time. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You know, I think we just need to pay attention a little more. Sometimes if we were just aware, when you get in that conversation, when you get uh, into in connection with somebody, what would happen if all of a sudden you say, you know, God has sent me to this. When you're going back to school or to a class, God has sent you to that class. God is sending you into circumstances and situations. Every single one of us is in ministry. Richard Halverson was a former chaplain to the Senate. I really liked him. Um, he was a Presbyterian. I'll forgive him for that. No, I'm kidding. I went to a Presbyterian seminary. But he had a benediction that he gave all the time. Everywhere he, when he was done speaking, he said this. 
He said, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of his spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in grace, his love, his power, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wherever you are, Richard Halverson said, God has positioned you and placed you there. We are all called to serve this mission. It's a powerful mission, but look at, look at that word. It's a powerful mission. Jesus gives, he says, all authority in heaven and earth be given to me. I give it to you. See, that's why they were amazed, because they were doing the same things Jesus was doing. They're like, we're, we're, not, we're like not second tier in the kingdom. God puts us on equal footing. And he says, I'm going to infuse your ministry with my power. Your words are going to become my words. Your healing touch is going to be my healing touch. Your calm demeanor and counsel is going to be me ministering through you to people if you understand that you can do all things, what? Through Christ, who strengthens me, who gives me power, who gives me ability. It's a partnership. So we're all called to it, and we're all equally given God's amazing power. He says to his disciples, stay here until you have received power. And if we would just be aware in our situations and our circumstances and our emails and our phone calls and our that God somehow is desiring to speak through you. And you know what that brings? It brings joy. It's also a joy. It's a powerful mission, but it's a joyful mission. They return in joy. Isn't that kind of crazy? I'm going to send you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. People are going to reject you. You're going to go to demonic stuff, and they come back with joy. Because when we put ourselves in the design that God wants for us, not simply serving ourselves, how boring life is when we do that. But when we give ourselves away, when we give our love away, when we give our resources away, and we start realizing that we've found purpose, we've found meaning, we're on mission. We're living on purpose. And there can be great joy in that. Frederick Buechner is a great writer I, I love, a Christian writer, and he wrote one time where your deepest gladness and the world's uh, deepest pain meet, that's your ministry. That's what I say around here. When, when God calls you, there it is, when God calls you to the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet, that's your ministry. In other words, when you find yourself just really feeling the sense that you're providing significance, it'll give you joy. That's what you've been after. That's, that's, that's really what you've been after. And it's a uniquely powerful, joyful mission. See, God calls each one of us because there's a unique witness he has for us. I love how Paul writes this in Ephesians. He says it this way. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know God has been up to something in your life? Do you realize that? I mean, even the tough things you've gone through, even the things you wish you didn't go through, if God didn't bring them, but God can work through them. And God has uniquely shaped each and every one of us for his good works, right? Let, let, let your light shine so people will see what, you know, the, the God working through you into the lives of others. So all those things you went through, God uniquely designed you because there's some hands only you can hold. 
There's so, some demons only you can cast out. There's some hurts only you can heal. We've been uniquely designed and empowered for this work. This is, what, this is the significance you've been looking for. So, so go with that sense of, of power and that sense of uh, presence that's with you. But watch the warning. At the end, they come back. They're, they're, they're high-fiving. They're excited. My gosh, Lord, the demons submit to us. All this is going on. And he, basically, Jesus says, so you had a good day. Maybe tomorrow won't be a good day. Why is he a wet blanket? <laughs> you know, I mean, Jesus never acts like this. What's going on? And do you hear what he said? He said, I saw somebody just like you. I saw somebody more powerful than you, more noble than you were, an angel in the presence of God. But he wanted, he started getting a little puffed up. And I saw Satan fall to earth with his hair on fire, with his soul on fire. And you're about to make that same mistake. So don't rejoice. And Jesus' words are word, rejoice. That's a deep, deep word in the Greek. They were in joy, but Jesus said, don't rejoice, meaning you're, you're, you're rehashing and reliving your joy at the center sweetness of your life. He says, rejoice not in this, but rejoice in this. Don't rejoice that you had a good day. Don't rejoice that, you know, you see, so you'll be happy about that. I remember in high school, I set the assist record for the state of Florida. They stopped the game. They gave me the game ball. I, I, it felt good. But, but basically, Jesus would say, okay, but maybe tomorrow you're not going to have 20 assists, Chip. And are you going to fall apart over that? Right? Do you ever wonder why we're so up and down? Why we don't have any balance? It's this. Because it's not that we're just our sorrows. We're rejoicing in the wrong things. Jesus said, don't rejoice in the temporary things. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. See, you're, satisfied, you're, you're, you're rejoicing in temporary things, not eternal things. You're rejoicing in superficial things, not serious things. You're rejoicing in secondary things, not primary things. And you're out there trying to make a name for yourself. See, that's the story of Genesis 11. They, we're going to build this tower, what? To make a name for ourselves. And Jesus says, why are you trying to make a name for yourself when Isaiah says your name is written in the palm of God's hand? Who are you letting name you? Who, who, who's who's the, the place where you're looking for, uh, you know, your identification? Jesus said, I give you a name. I have called you by name. That's what it says in Isaiah. You are mine. When I started having my little self-esteem issues, I got this, Pastor Laurie will remember this, we had a service about, I don't know, four years ago, where at the end of service we gave everybody a little white stone. You know where that comes from? It comes from Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, where God says this, to everyone who overcomes, that's what he's telling all of us during this pandemic. For those of you who just put one foot in front of the other, just walk and not faint, for you who persevere in your faith, he says, I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written what? A new name that nobody knows but God and me. I don't know what my name is yet. Well, one day I will. <laughs> I thought it was Chip. It's probably something else. God has a pet name for me. And I put that little stone in my pocket. I carry around. My wife knows when I'm having a bad day because she does laundry. She says, your, your rock fell out. And I carried around to remember what? That God gives us a name. And he doesn't wait to the end of your life to give you a name. 
Your name is written in the book of life now. He said, celebrate that. Quit chasing after and make a name for yourself in temporary things. Don't, you're, what you're doing, he warned his disciples, you're rejoicing in your achievements. You're rejoicing in your personal successes. And when you don't achieve that, you're going to be down in the dirt uh, one day where you've been lifted up the other. But rejoice that your name is safe with me. You know what the high priest used to do in the temple? The high priest would go back in the Holy Holies and he would put on an ephod. And an ephod was his vest with these beautiful stones on them. And every stone had a name. And the Bible says we have a great and better high priest. One who stands before the throne of all thrones. And our name is written on his heart. And you, you ever heard that before? Hey, if we had an agreement, what would an attorney say? Did you get it in writing? We have it in writing. <laughs> Jesus wrote it not in ink. He wrote it in blood. And he gave us a name. And, and, and that, that's, that's, that's where we get our power. That's where we get our purpose. And it keeps us humble. It keeps us balanced. We don't get too high. We don't get too low. And we stay on the path of mission. Serve. Be other-focused, other-centered, and understand that God has made a name for you. I'm going to wrap this up, guys. I, I, I want to share this last little story. Pastor Terry was talking to me this past week, and I found out that there was a, a ceremony that was done in Mumbai, India. Um, there were a renaming service for 285 young girls in Mumbai, India, who had been given the wrong name. You know what they were named? They were named Nakusa or Nakushi. I don't know if you know, but in the Hindu language, that means unwanted. They were named unwanted by parents or grandparents that were hoping for a son and got a daughter and named her unwanted. And in Mumbai, India, a couple years ago, 285 young girls named Nakushi or Nakusa got a new name. And they were dressed in their finest. And they were given bouquets of flowers. And each one of them went up to the stage and they were a little down in the dumps. But then they read them, this is your new name. And they walked off with their head up high. Don't rejoice that you said an assist record, Chip. Don't rejoice that you think you preached a decent sermon. Don't rejoice that you got that promotion. Tomorrow may not be that way. But rejoice that you have gone to the stage of the eternal trauma of the world. And the master of the universe has called you by name. Rejoice in that. And it'll be a little easier to do what the band invited us to do earlier. To surrender. To give of ourselves. To build a kingdom. Garfield Memorial, I don't even know, 1,572 of you, whatever's out there. Each one. God is sending, God is sending us to a world desperate to know good news, to have the darkness of demons expelled and all the isms that divide resisted and to heal, to take the hands of a hurting world and be agents of healing. All of you have been called to that ministry. Don't leave it to the clergy. <laughs> all we are is the ringleaders. We're the encouragers. God called 70, and that 70 includes 
you. God bless you. Go and live life on purpose this week and hear the words of that, of that great chaplain. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Be there on purpose. Pay attention and serve. And see if that won't plant you firmly in the, in the, in the depths of his grace, of his love, and truly then walk by faith and not by sight. We'll see you all next week. Check out the e-note. You've got to guess the films. We'll have some fun. See you next week. In Jesus' name, amen.